Why are there no new ideas in computing? By the end of this episode, I hope to explore this idea. It's something I've been thinking about a lot that there's there is this kind of golden age in the 60s and 70s when a whole bunch of stuff got invented and now we kind of took some steps back and we're still uncovering all that stuff. So what happened? My name is Eric Normand and I help people thrive with functional programming. There's a stack overflow question about something that Alan Kay said that there were no new inventions in computing since 1980. And to a lot of us, that's pretty surprising because we work in computing and we feel like new stuff is coming out all the time. And so the person who was asking was like, what, is, what does he mean by this? Uh, and so he answered, Alan Kay answered the question himself and he, uh, set out, set it out as a challenge. Like what are the things that you think are new? And a lot, <laughs> a lot of question or answers came in, um, to his challenge and he kind of said, well, but in 1967, there was a paper where they talked about that, you know, and maybe this is a new implementation, you know, it has a lot of practical improvements, but it's the same idea, but newer. And he just goes down the list, you know, people coming up with ideas and he just says, well, you know, here's a paper. And like, so what's, what's going on? Why is it that things kind of stopped? And we're still trying to catch up to where people were back then. And Alan Kay has mentioned it before. Um, I didn't really understand it. Uh, I've been thinking about it, uh, researching it. And the best answer I can come up with, I mean, it's something I just think about all the time, is the microcomputer revolution the commercialization of microcomputers has really set us back. Now, it set us forward because we have cheap computers now because they became like consumer grade and and you know, now we have I don't know how many computers I own. You know, I stopped counting. Uh there's computers in so many devices now. Uh, that wasn't the case when, um, when microcomputers first came out. It's so we're, we have all this new computing power. I can, you know, go on to Amazon and just like start up computers in the cloud as many as I can afford and they're not expensive. Um, and it, it's amazing. We have all this great power, but the systems we use the programming languages, the operating systems, the software is all is all from this time. It all stems from this time when we had to rebuild everything. So imagine you were a researcher at a university and you had maybe not a mainframe, but you had a mini computer. 
right? Not a microcomputer, but like a step up order of magnitude bigger um, than what was available like in an Apple II, right? So it's a really powerful computer for the time. Cost thousands of dollars, like forty, fifty thousand dollars in those um you know in in the dollars of the time so pretty expensive uh but you could do research on it and you could work in an advanced language with a compiler with a decent decent editor and you then look at this microcomputer that has no compiler the language on it is basic and if you need to do anything sophisticated you have to go down to assembly you would just look at it and say i i can't do the algorithm research that i'm working on at at work or at, you know in my job on this small computer so you know <laughs> here's another way to look at it so Steve Jobs went to Xerox Park and saw the small talk system that Alan Kay's team had developed and was blown away by it. Small talk was running on a $30,000 machine that took up like the whole desk and had these big tapes for storing your project on. You'd have to load in the tape. But then once it was all loaded, it was very interactive. You had a mouse and you could change the code as it's running and you know move documents around and stuff like that. And it was a big inspiration for the Macintosh and you know, and from there Windows and you know everything we use today. But what was, and, and so this Smalltalk system had this really advanced language, an object-oriented language in the 70s that could, that you could click on anything, see the code for how it worked, modify it, hit save, and then the behavior of the system right there in front of your eyes, no, no recompilation step or anything, it would just be different. And in fact, they did this in the demo, but Steve Jobs missed it. Other, the other programmers that were with him from Apple saw it. But anyway, what's important is that when they went back and said, we, we got to put this on the Macintosh, what did they develop it in? Assembly. And they made a pretty nice GUI for what could run on the hardware that they had, the, you know, commodity uh, consumer hardware that they were making. They they wrote it in assembly. You couldn't change any code on it. The it was a, a very kind of dumbed down system. And you know they had to to make it fit on the hardware that they could that they expected people to be able to afford. But it's that kind of downstep that that we took from this expressive, super, uh, super forward-looking system, the small talk system, down to a system that, yes, made it easier to use. Uh, yes, it made it had a lot of nice things about it. But in terms of like a programming machine, 
and advanced concepts like being able to modify code and understand how every piece of the system worked, it was a big down step, backward step, if you will. And then over time, the computers, the microcomputers that were commodity hardware that, that were produced, eventually they caught up to where the Alto was. That's what the small talk system was running on. And they were much cheaper, but the programming systems did not. Right? The programming systems, maybe they're not in assembly anymore. They're in C or Objective C or what have you. But they never got, they never took that leap and said, wait, we can run small talk now. Let's start over and, and, and like reinvent what we have from, from that beginning because they needed to sell every year. They were a business. They needed to commercialize this and they didn't want to start over. People were learning the GUI. They didn't want to have to say, well, here's a new GUI that we d invented for you because people had invested in training their, their staff. They didn't want to have to retrain them on the new GUI, right? So there's all this investment and sunk costs that are going into it. They couldn't change it. They, they can make inc incremental improvements, but they couldn't say, whoa, wait, let's stop because we could do what they were doing in the 70s now on, on our hardware and we'll, we would be like basically where they were with this advanced expensive computer. We could do that on our cheap commodity computer, uh, but, but it's never, no one's ever done that. And it's, it's odd that no one's ever done it, but you can see why. It's because uh, they're always trying to get the next release out, just adding features, adding features. They're never doing the big rewrite. Big rewrites are expensive, they're risky, just keep coming out with the next thing. And so we find ourselves in 2019, that's when I'm recording this. Um, you know, I have, I have devices here that have operating systems that, you know, don't have some of the, uh, some of the features that Smalltalk had back in the day. I can't click on anything and change how it works. The software we write for them in general is still like uh, from the batch computing era where we submit a program to a compiler which compiles it, generates an executable, and then we have to, you know, basically start the whole thing over. It does not provide objects that I can interact with in the same way that a small talk system had, right? Any small talk object would have like a, a, a method, methods that you could call, messages you could pass it. So just as an example, like I'm recording this on my computer here, uh, and I've got a window open. I mean, you can't see this, but I'm going to talk about it. Um, I've got a window open. It's the QuickTime Player. It's what it's called. It's a piece of software that records video. How do I get the frames out of this? Shouldn't there be an interface to this object on the screen that lets me query it for, you know, a frame at a certain time? 
or how do I get the raw stream of, of it can talk to the camera. This QuickTime player can talk to the camera. How do I get the raw stream of frames out? It somehow knows how to do it. I want to use the encoding that the QuickTime player knows how to use. I, it's, I basically don't own this software. There's only like, I don't know, a hundred things I can do through a mouse driven interface. I mean, yes, you can, there's keyboard shortcuts. That's not what I'm talking about. I do not, I cannot write software that interacts with this software. I can't change how this software works. And they could do that in the seventies on the small talk systems. To this day, when you get small talk software, they give you the source code. They, or they give you an image that contains the whole thing. It's everything here. Here's how, here's our software. And so you can start, you mess with it. You know, you change it, you make it do what you want it to do. And I think it's a total shame because we we get this software like i mean i'm thinking about video editing software final cut pro that's what i use sometimes and it's i i want to change it i want to make it different and i can't i just have to learn how it wants me to to work with video and i want to work with it in a different way and that doesn't count and it's my computer, I paid for it. It's my software, I paid for it. And I can't modify it. So we, we took this huge step back. And a lot of ideas are now coming, come having, you know, reaching the light of day. People are reading the old papers because they're on the internet now. That's a good thing. People are talking about them. There's conferences about old papers. People are implementing the ideas in their favorite programming languages. That's awesome. But I, I still feel like that's just piecemeal. We need a, a, a revolution. We need to start over. We need something to, to, to reset where we are because these computers, this thing on my desk is way more powerful than an Alto from 1970 it's ridiculous it costs way less even in accounting for inflation especially accounting for inflation but it's it's not as powerful in the in the sense of giving me power as a user but of course it's not going to happen because final cut pro costs something like three hundred dollars and if they let you develop your own editing software in an easy way, meaning what if Final Cut Pro was a bunch of objects? What if it was not uh, you know, a full suite that has a fixed interface? What if it was a bunch of objects that you could program together? I've seen the small talk demos. They were editing video then in the seventies and it was a simple interface. They were like, Oh, let me throw something together to help me make this video. I just recorded. They threw it together. That's what I want to be able to do. Well, this is turning into a really downer episode. 
and I don't want to end on a negative note. Um, I think we are coming, uh, you know, the industry grew, is growing, but it started growing so fast when those microcomputers came out. It's been doubling very quickly. And there, the number of researchers, you know, there, there were COBOL programmers back then when, you know, working on mainframes and stuff. You know, those are run-of-the-mill, you know, code monkeys, I have to say it. You know, they're just people getting a job done, doing, you know, making some banking software, getting the business automated, you know, whatever they're doing. They're not computer researchers. They're engineers. There were, you know, the number of computer researchers was really small. They did amazing stuff. Like the Xerox Park stuff, that's worth trillions of dollars now. It's added that much to, to the economy. And now as this wave of programmers just expanding, it's just growing doubling every five years that's what i've heard i don't know if that's true but it's it's growing in a fast rate everyone knows that so fast universities can't keep up boot camps are popping up because there's so many people who want to learn and are willing to pay a lot of money anyway there are people who grew up in industry as part of this wave who are are becoming aware that there was a time before microcomputing. And those people are starting new projects. They're doing the, the required background research. They're looking back into uh, how we got where we are and what was going on before. Uh, I hope one day to count myself among them, um, but I, I can't really right now. I don't, I don't have the time to, to read all the stuff I need to read. Uh, but I am somewhat aware that there, there, that this is a problem. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that, uh, the number of people who can work on this, who, who dedicate time to it, you know, do computer research like it was done before the microcomputer, revolution uh i'm hopeful that that something new is going to come out of it it might take 20 years might take 50 years but the commercialization has just been so rapid and huge right it's just this huge wave it just it's overtaken any of that prior research so maybe it's even happening in in the same scale. It just looks tiny and you can't see it compared to all of the, you know, new versions of this software that comes out and oh look a new OS version came out and like oh look at this cool new hardware. Um and there's things like the end of Moore's law and the so the end of Moore's law means that maybe Intel doesn't have the the advantage that it once had that it used to be that intel would just keep working on making the same kind of processors uh but with more transistors 
same architecture. You know, they advanced it, but the same architecture. They knew it was flawed. They weren't happy with the architecture, but they just because of the commercialization, this is what was selling. This is what was making money. So we're going to keep making them. They tried other things. They tried other chips, other architectures, but no, they weren't as successful. So they dropped them. Um, but now, so they would just wait six months and the processor would be twice as fast. And any kind of custom architecture that was custom designed for a certain problem or a certain kind of language or, you know, these custom architectures that could use more clever things to make it, to make it go faster in certain cases. I mean, the Intel stuff would just double just by making the transistor smaller. And so any advantage you had with cool architectures, um, was, was just, it didn't matter. But now at the end of Moore's law, maybe that's mattering more and more. And we kind of see it with Apple. They're coming out with these custom chips, like for those AirPods, you know, maybe they have the different architectures in there that allow them to be smaller, you know, lower energy, et cetera. So that, that could be a thing. Um, there's, there's also like so much computing resources available. I, I feel like something could happen there. Like, like maybe we will realize that like we can start, I guess I want to say, uh, doing stuff that looks wasteful from the old paradigm, but in the new paradigm, it makes sense because whew, there's like a vast cloud of computers waiting to run your code. Not, I don't know about that, but I, I feel like there's, there could be something there. Um, there's the no code movement that looks very hopeful to me. And I, I feel like the, I'm, I'm optimistic. The time frame. I'm not optimistic about, <laughs> I want it now. <laughs> I don't want to wait 25 years. Uh, but you know, things have to take the time that they take. Awesome. So, uh, I hope I haven't bummed you out. I hope I ended on a positive enough note because I am hopeful. I just think, uh, I just think that we took a huge down step to build out this, uh, industry and we're only now realizing, you know, collectively, uh, how bad that back step was and how we still haven't caught up to where they, where they were. Um, but we are realizing it and more and more people are realizing it. And there are conferences, uh, talking about it. There are conferences talking about the papers and a lot of the papers that people bring up are old papers from a long time ago when this stuff was invented. So, um, Yes, thank you. If you like this episode, you can go to lispcast.com slash podcast, and there you'll find all the old episodes with audio, video, and text transcripts. You'll also find uh, links to subscribe in whatever format you want, and also links to find me on social media where I'd love to get into a discussion with you about this topic. This has been my thought on functional programming. My name is Eric Normand. Thank you for listening and rock on.